Hey, St. John. Welcome to the Post-Sermon Podcast. I am Deaconess Dahlia, and with me today is Pastor Adam. Hey, Deaconess. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. So we're discussing your sermon from this past Sunday. Can you tell us what is the text that you preached on? Uh, This is Luke chapter 21, verses 5 to 36, a bit of a longer gospel reading than usual. And this is looking at Jesus speaking of uh, two things. You have the destruction of the temple, but also discussion of the last day, the last day of the world when the Lord returns to uh, to judge the living and the dead and to bring about the redemption of the world as well. And this past Sunday was the second to last Sunday. Penultimate. The, yeah, the penultimate. It's always interesting when uh, this uh, we get this reading in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and they have different emphases. Uh, but one thing, Deaconess, I always like about this reading is Jesus gives this whole discussion about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but also the you know the end of the world. And it's all right before Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, and all the events that take place. And what's so cool is Jesus speaks about this ahead of time. And, and I love just the, the feeling of confidence that you get with Jesus. He says, yeah, these things are going to happen, but the day of redemption is going to take place. I, I just love that, that, that placement of the end times discussion in the timeline of Jesus' story. I have a here submitted question about this reading, and I think you already started to answer it, but this person asked if this gospel reading talks about the destruction of Jerusalem and the second coming, or is it all about the second coming? That's a great question. I I think it's tougher to read in Luke, and I will admit that. I think it's really clear in Matthew. Uh, In Matthew, this is chapter 24, the disciples asked two questions of Jesus, and Jesus does, gives distinctly two answers. His first answer deals with the destruction of the temple. And then 24, I think it's verse 36. But concerning that day or hour, no so one... So he talks about both in right. Matthew. And you get really nicely separated out because I think people will try to run these together. Luke is interesting. It seems like Jesus speaks kind of generically. And then in the middle of the reading around verse 20, you get the destruction of the temple. And then verse 25, you get the coming of the Son of Man. And so it's kind of a bookend answer. So it does talk about both. It's just not this neat distinction like you have in Matthew. I just like Matthew more than Luke. So that's probably I part of my bias. Know. Yeah. You named your son after Matthew. So. Yep. So this reading is very long and it's got a lot of details that frankly seem kind of scary and it can be tempting to get caught up in these details about wars and persecutions and that you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and might be put to death and, and be hated for Jesus' namesake. Um, and it can be really easy to just to focus on those details. Um, but I think it is important to direct our attention to the promises of God. So where can we find those promises in the midst of all of the scariness of the text? I think that's one of the cool things of the reading is you get just these like really beautiful statements of promise and the confidence in the assuredness that Jesus has. Let me show you one of my favorites I did not lean into in the sermon. This is in verse 18. So this is just after, you know, you'll be hated by by those around you, even parents and brothers and relatives and friends will hand you over or they'll even put you to death. You'll be hated by all for my namesake. Verse 18. 
but not a hair of your head will perish. I mean, Jesus speaks quite explicitly in here of how many followers of Christ will die for the faith, will die for the sake of the name of Jesus. Well, if I die, my, my hairs die with me too. So what does he mean my hair won't perish? And I think this is just a reminder of how death is but temporary for the Christian. Uh, it's, it, maybe it goes back to an earlier discussion of uh, temporal death and eternal death from a few weeks ago. But you're not perishing because the Son of God did not perish in his tomb, which is about to happen in Luke, right? And, and, and so that's why I love these, these little moments of just beautiful, confident gospel. And that's why I really wanted to lean into my sermon today. This is in the verses 25 to 28. That's what I read to the congregation at the very end there about the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. No matter all the other details that come before, the Son of Man will come in power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. There's no uncertainty here in Jesus' words. There's no uncertainty ever in God's promises for us. And that's something I think is so cool is these verses are just spotlights of hope in the midst of so many terrifying details. And that was a big part of your sermon was on our posture. And then, of course, bringing in the, the posture of Christ and then how that then changes our own posture. And so in a way, were you trying to direct our attention to God's promises through that focus on posture? Yeah, absolutely. And especially tied to Jesus because he has yet to be betrayed and arrested and tried and beaten and crucified and yet to die. And yet he knows what's going to happen in the end because he'll be risen. And seeing how he approaches uh, the day of his death gives us some pause and some example of how we conduct ourselves as we approach our death, as we approach living in this world and this life. At the beginning of your sermon, you brought up three particular persons or characters, a young person, old person, and an ambivalent person. I really try my best not to use any uh, his or her pronouns, just to really keep it super generic. I slipped once, if I remember right. Uh, what pronoun did you use? I, I said like a his. I was, ah. try, I was just trying to keep it super vague, so either people find this relatable or they can kind of think in their mind, I know who, this person in my life. I just assumed there were men, but I don't know why. <laughs> Anyways, and I think when you introduce these characters or these people, this was bringing the problem into the sermon that you began to identify. And, and what was that problem that the people were facing and that is part of our problems as well? Yeah, the, the, the big deal is that we live in this age of anxiousness and it just festers and feeds. And so you have uh, the young person, the old person, the ambivalent person, they're all dealing with anxiety in different ways. And even if we don't specifically identify with any of those people, we're all a part of this anxious age and we all have our anxieties, we all have our concerns and, and just the discontentment that causes within us and that desire to fix or to do or to withdraw. Which then affects our posture, right? Right. And what is the posture of someone who lives in an anxious age? Yeah, and it, it's, it's someone who's curled in on him or herself. It's just this, it's our, it's our narcissism, it's our, it's our self-idolatry. It is, we just look at woe is me and look at in, in the problems around me and I, either I need to fix it or 
um, or just my efforts have failed or just, just leave me alone and just let me just kind of enjoy the little bit of misery I have before it's all over. And this anxiousness just eats away at us and we're curved in on ourselves. It's, it's such a classic way to talk about sin is that it's, we are curved in on ourselves. And rather, what does Christ do? He straightens us up, right? He corrects our posture. Um, and we So now we're directed outward out, towards our neighbor. Outward towards our neighbor, outward towards our Savior. Uh, it, is, it is just a confidence. Uh, it, it's not arrogance it's not um uh it's not swagger you know in that kind of connotation but it's just just a self-assuredness that jesus is risen it's going to be okay and it's not a it's not pretending the darkness is not real it's not pretending the suffering and the sins are not realities in our lives but the day of redemption is coming it's going to be okay and not in a not in a cheap sense of that statement. Ahir asked, why did you choose those three particular characters for your sermon? Because you could have really come up with a lot more too, right? You are totally right that I could have picked other people. I wanted to be just kind of broad and generic, but I guess just from my standpoint, these are as much as the kind of stereotype and presupposed category, I think these are three relatable people, either in to ourselves or people in our lives of of there's the young and there's the old and just this kind of continued battle between generations that happens and there's also just someone just wants to withdraw and i think those alone are relatable and if we're honest we kind of move between those three at different points in our lives as well not just when we age but in just the different viewpoints of of how we view and try to fix our anxiousness and then you said later on that these three people are actually one person, that they're connected. Right, right. That's, that was the idea. I know one phrase I really liked when you were talking about these people is, I think you were talking about the young one that I'm trying to remember, but that this person lives in a digital monastery. And just this idea of, I think, withdrawing into your phone, the TV, just all of the the tech and the just the fact that we live in this digital age now. Yeah. And it's not that, you know, the tech itself is wrong. You know, no. These are gifts from God. Can these gifts from God be misused in such a way that it takes us away from vocation and takes us away from our creaturely responsibilities? You know, this is Luther's big critique of the monastery is it actually pulled you out of the world instead of kept you emplaced in this world as a creature and in service to God and neighbor. It's pulling you away from those vocations that God has called you to. Absolutely. So, yeah. No, that's why I liked you, that you used the word monastery. Definitely made me think about, yeah, Luther's time, but how really we're not that different from the monks, right? We tend to find other idols to pull us away from our callings. Yeah, the idols just change names, but it's, it's the same idols. Yeah, and they are good gifts, right? That's what we do is we take God's good gifts and we make them into our God. Right? right. Right. What was the challenge for you with this sermon process? I think one challenge is just the length of reading. There's a lot, of course, packed into the reading and in so much to be consumed with. And so to really just hone in and focus on what is, what is the undergirding promise that it really is going to be okay in Christ. So that was one challenge. Uh, another, I think even just the writing of the sermon 
I think it, it could have tended towards being a little bit too heady of a sermon, uh, just these different you know terms and age of anxiousness and um, and just hoping it connected with my hearers was something I was concerned with. I can imagine that can be a difficult thing with the preaching task is trying to connect with your parishioners that uh, you are now, you've been here seven years now, right? Seven plus years. So just, especially at the beginning, you didn't know them, but now as you get to know them and you're looking out at the people, how can you make sure that they're not only hearing the law and the gospel, but that they're hearing it for themselves Mm -hmm. in their lives? Yeah. And having applied these verses, you know, through the different synoptic gospels, right, each year, now we're back to it again. So what, what can be said this time around as well, right? So have you preached on this text previously? Yeah, I had. Uh, if I remember right, uh, back in Luke, it was pretty early on. I think it was just talking about, um, <laughs> if it's the sermon I'm thinking of, it's uh, people got ants in their pants about the end times. And it was just kind of, <laughs> you know, it was kind of the illustration I used. Yeah, that was before your time, Deaconess. I would have remembered that. Yeah, yeah the so. ants in your pants <laughs> sermon. Yeah. So right now I'm looking, you have your hymnal open. So it looks like you have something you want to share with us from it. Part of the the way of preaching the gospel last week was just looking at the posture of Jesus and imagining him in those different scenes, in the garden, in the courtroom, and then as he heads to the cross, how does he carry himself? And I totally get when we think of, you know, weak or lowly or frail, you know, these are images that come to mind. You know, he is a lamb being led to the slaughter. You get some of this language in the Isaiah prophecies. And there's also just this confidence he carries about himself because he is going to battle, yes, but he will be triumphant. And uh, the hymn I have open to, it's, it's a hymn I've, I've really grown to appreciate over the years. It's number 454. It is Sing My Tongue, The Glorious Battle. And it's such a cool hymn and tune. I encourage you all to look this one up. Are you going to sing for us? I am, I'm not, because I actually want you to like the hymn. <laughs> but this hymn, it's the hymn that's assigned for Good Friday. And so when you think of Good Friday and the picture comes to mind, I think we often just think of just like weak and frail Jesus on the cross. But there's also with the Good Friday service this strong theme of the Lord goes off to war. I mean, right next to it, number 455, the royal banners go forward. I mean, he is heading off to war, and he's going to win. And it's going to look like a win in a very unexpected way. That's a great way of looking at it. I mean, think when soldiers go off to war, what is their posture? They also have one of of confidence, right? Right, right. And, it, and it's not the naivete of a, of a young soldier who's never seen combat. Um, this is the the complete all-knowing confidence of God. This is our king going to battle yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And he uh, he fights and he will win. It's uh, it's it's Aslan, right? Uh, when he is when when Aslan is killed, it's a lion, and there's just a there's just a different sort of tone that comes with that. And so, yes, like a lamb to the slaughter, but this lamb's also the lion, lion of Judah. That's yeah. right. So it's just a, a one way to kind of keep in mind when we think of Jesus' death. Uh, th- these are fine ways to think of it. Uh, don't just give one all the credence in your mind. But that's why I want to kind of highlight with the posture that, and that comes through in this end times discourse because he's talking about after he's risen from the dead, right? Because he knows this is what's going to happen. 
All right. Well, please read us the words. Uh, Sing my tongue the glorious battle. Sing the ending of the fray. Now above the cross, the trophy, sound the loud triumphant lay. Tell how Christ, the world's redeemer, as a victim, won the day. Tell how when at length the fullness of the appointed time was come, he, the word, was born of woman, left for us his father's home, blazed the path of true obedience, shone as light amidst the gloom. Thus with thirty years accomplished, he went forth from Nazareth, destined, dedicated, willing, did his work and met his death, like a lamb he humbly yielded, on the cross's dying breath. Faithful cross, true sign of triumph, be for all the noblest tree. None in foliage, none in blossom, none in fruit thine equal be. Symbol of the world's redemption for the weight that hung on thee. Unto God be praise and glory, to the Father and the Son, to the eternal Spirit, honor, now and evermore be done. Praise and glory in the highest while the timeless ages run. This wraps up the episode for today. Thank you for listening to today's discussion. In case you missed the sermon or you'd like to listen to it again, the link to the sermon is in the show notes. You can also find it on our church website, stjohndublin.org. If you'd like to submit a question about sermon, please email us at podcast at stjohndublin.org. Thank you, Pastor, for joining me and for feeding us the word this week. Thanks, Deaconess. Have a good one.